0: This is The Starcoat Show with Meg Rentschler, episode 321. Do you ever get uncomfortable in providing feedback to others? Do you wonder what it is about some organizations that allow for more flow of feedback than others? Whether you are a coach or a leader, this episode is for you. I am joined by Dr. Tom Krapu to talk about how we create a feedback culture. We're going to be talking about best practices, the importance of trust, readiness for change. Let me tell you, you are going to walk away with so many actionable things that you can do immediately, including a special treat at the very end of the interview. So strap on your seatbelts. This is a great show, and I'm happy you're here to join us. Welcome
1: to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential.
0: Hello, welcome to the show. It is wonderful to have you join us. I hope the beginning of your year is going smoothly. You're getting excited about all that you have to offer in 2023. You continue to focus on how you are staying strong in your skills and that you're creating the kind of work for yourself That allows you to engage with clients, whether you're an internal coach, whether you are a relationship coach, a health coach, an executive coach, what is it that you're doing that's upping your game and moving you forward? That's what the Star Coach Show is all about, and I'm delighted that you're here to do that. Now, maybe you are a leader who is applying coaching in your leadership to help empower your people. That lights me up and I want to welcome you as well. If you haven't met me yet, I'm Meg Rentschler. I'm an executive coach and I'm also a coach instructor and a mentor coach who is absolutely dedicated to bringing more coaching into the world. I am a believer that coaching, that listening more deeply, that being more curious about what other people have to offer and challenging them to step into their greatness is exactly what the world needs. And the Star Coach Show is here to help you do that. In today's show, we're going to be talking about creating a feedback culture, what exactly that means. We're going to be talking about how important trust is in cultures and how you can determine if your organization or organizations that you're coaching in have that high trust culture or whether they're struggling with that. I'm joined today by Dr. Tom Krapu. Tom has that very thing that we as coaches know we absolutely have to have, and that's an inexhaustible curiosity. He works with his clients to create an impact across their organizations that lead to lasting and meaningful results through the executive coaching that he does and the 360 feedback that he is absolutely committed to helping organizations bring forward in a healthier way. You'll hear him say in his interview that he's dedicated to get rid of some of these broken ways that feedback is delivered in organizations, which makes him the perfect guest for this interview in us talking about how to create a feedback culture. Tom has worked with individuals in their development for over 30 years. He has specialized as a coach, a trainer, and a facilitator since 2001. And you will hear his experience in this interview today. He works internationally to really create this impact as an executive coach and as a specialist in 360 Feedback. Tom is on faculty in one of the coaching schools that I work in, and I just see him again and again bring his brilliance forward through that work, and I am so excited to introduce him to you. So let's go to my interview with Dr. Tom Krapu. Dr. Tom Krapu, welcome to the Starcoat Show. It's wonderful to have you here.
1: Thanks. So great to be here, Megan. It's an honor and a privilege.
0: Well, thank you so much. You have such industry experience and, and so much to share. And we did decide out of all the things that you have to share that really creating a feedback culture around what's the importance of feedback and and what how does trust build into that how do we think about different ways to give feedback and then you also want to give a really tangible and actionable takeaway for our audience to use by the end of your interview so so many great things that we have lined up for today before we begin In that nugget, those nuggets, I would love to know a little bit about your perspective on what brings you into the field of coaching and and keeps you here. What lights you up about coaching?
1: Yeah, really, my doctoral work was in counseling psychology, which is a real developmental approach. And about five years into my coaching, the thing I told my coaching colleagues was that the coaching profession succeeded where counseling psychology actually failed in in branding itself as a, a a tool of development to help people in normal development, adult development, become everything that they possibly can be. And so the more I transitioned into the coaching field, which started about 20 years ago, the more I just felt like, God, I've, I'm home. This is, this is why I went to graduate school, actually. So that's where my passion is, is helping people develop. And, and cultures are really an important piece of that that I'm really excited to talk about today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we both kind of come from that counseling psychology background. Both of us, I think, felt this draw into and the development aspect of that. So I've always felt a real draw to the work that you do, the way that you engage with helping coaches develop and, and build their skills, as well as the leaders that you work with. So let's look at this concept of feedback culture. And when we think about a feedback culture, where do you think the best place is to begin?
1: Well, so the reason is creating a feedback culture is is like a a big picture that I want to kind of convey today because it goes beyond individual feedback. And so we'll, we'll be talking about individual ways of doing that. But if we can create a feedback culture within an organization, it has a broader impact in multiple ways, many ways that in terms of ROI, it might be hard to measure. Like when you have a high trust, a high, a positive feedback, and usually it means a high trust culture that you're building. Look at the effect that has on things like retention and satisfaction, which we know are huge drivers of productivity, huge drivers of cost to organizations. So the more we can start developing cultures that are a feedback culture which usually also means you're increasing trust within the culture. It just has a huge impact. So that's that's why it's a really important topic for me to talk about today.
0: Absolutely. And when we think about feedback, there's that, that high trust is needed because there's a vulnerability in that, right? I mean, like if we're asking for feedback or accepting feedback, there's a level of I'm, I'm going to be vulnerable in stepping into that space. So we talk about importance and, and how do we want to kind of set the stage for the context of this?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things I want to talk a little bit about it and some of the concepts I'm talking about today might be familiar to a lot of your audience. And if it is familiar, then hopefully it helps become more of a reminder to help increase your awareness of how important these ideas are. Like I'd like to talk a little bit about the Johari Window. For those of you who aren't familiar with that, it was developed probably back in the 1970s as a way of thinking about awareness because it has four quadrants. It has the area that you're aware of yourself and other people are also aware of you. So it's like this is the public area. It's called the open area. And then there's another area, those things that you know about yourself that other people don't know. So this is the whole area of kind of our hidden self, the, the right. parts that we haven't shared with others. And then another area has to do with an area that's called the unknown. It's, it's stuff that's not known to us or others about ourselves. And this is probably synonymous with the unconscious, right? Because it's just things that we, we're not even aware of and other people aren't either. Okay. But there's this this fourth quadrant within that Johar window that is going to be part of the focus today really gives some context to this because it's called the blind spot. And really what it is, is it's, it's that part that's not known to our, ourself, but it is known to others. Uh So think about our personal development, how we grow as a coach or as a leader, if we're developing our self-awareness and really observing ourselves closely and learning from our experiences That's a great way to drive our development. But imagine doing that without any insight from what others know about us, but we don't know about ourselves. It's like we have one hand tied behind our back in our development as a a human being, as a leader, as a coach, because there are things that are known to others that aren't known to ourselves. We all have blind spots. And so the area, this whole topic of feedback is really can be couched within this frame, right? It's like, well, feedback is a way of getting access to the things that others are aware of about ourselves that we ourselves are not aware of, and right. that that's a that's a game changer in terms of our personal development, right? Because now we're not only we're not limited by just our own self-awareness and all the effort we make to learn from our experiences, but we can learn from others' experiences of us. And so this is why feedback is so important because it just it, it broadens our development opportunity. It's just a game changer. Right.
0: Absolutely. So if we think of like another change model, uh, moving from, from pre-contemplation or complete unawareness into some contemplation and then into that that awareness and and moving into preparation and those kinds of things. So so that's these blind spots would be when we're when we're in pre-contemplation. We just don't we don't know what we don't know. But other people are able to see that in a way to begin to move up that readiness for change or move into a place of contemplating what's going on is getting some feedback.
1: Right. I think that's one of my favorite sayings. I don't know what I don't know. Right. right.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. So how can I do anything about it if I don't know what I don't know?
1: You know, and, and, and before we start <clears throat> talking about feedback itself, we've got to talk about trust because trust is the other game changer when it comes to creating a feedback culture when it comes to maximizing the ROI of feedback, because in, in a low trust culture, people are less open and they're more defensive about feedback, about, about learning about themselves. And so one thing I would want your listeners to be thinking about here is with think of the context of the feedback when you're thinking about providing or giving feedback. Because that context is going to be a really significant, it's going to have a huge impact on the impact of the feedback. And if you're, like one of the things I advise companies when when I set up a a 360 feedback program, this is one of the things, first conversation is, what is trust like in your organization? And if you have a really low trust culture for a number of different reasons, but if, 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 if people are aware that there's not a lot of trust in this culture, then you have to be very cautious about how you introduce feedback, because, uh, and here's one of the sayings I, I, I give my UT Dallas students is, any organizational intervention, including feedback, is an opportunity to build or lose trust in the organization. Let me say that again. Any intervention in an organization is an opportunity to either build or lose trust in the organization.
0: So then and, it's going to come into how we're doing that and the best practices. And before we get too far past that, is when you are having that first conversation with organizations, what's been your experience in their level of awareness of whether they are a low or high trust organization?
1: Yeah, I've okay, got great great question meg i think it i think it varies some uh, and i think it's usually underestimated if if they have a low trust organization i don't think they realize how low a low trust organization they actually have
0: that was my um, suspicion yeah
1: yeah because i think it's number one it's really hard to be gut wrenchingly honest about that about your organization right well no we trust each other we're good people right mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a very delicate conversation, but it's a very frank conversation I have where I try to get at, at, at as much truth value that can be revealed from that conversation as I can. And usually if there is some elements, so all organizations can build greater, there's no perfect trusting organization. But I think people having this conversation, they realize, I know we can at least become better. Okay. And that becomes the context of the conversation. As as you as an outsider, as you're as you're observing and assessing this, mm-hmm. this is a really important factor for you to be taking into account when you're trying to have an impact on feedback in the organization, because trust is so crucial to that. So it's one of the reasons I just wanted to talk about that to make right. sure you're being mindful of because it has to do with how receptive is the organization going to be to any kind of feedback. It's if it's a high trust organization, I have leaders that just embrace. In fact, here here's a great here's a great measure of that. If you're doing 360 feedback, these are the people that invite people to give them feedback who they've had problems with in the past. Exactly. Who they, have troubled, they have troubled relationships with. They know it hasn't been good. And they're vulnerable and transparent enough that they actually seek feedback from those people.
0: Right. So they're in that place of I really want feedback to help me grow and learn. And so I'm not just going to pick my, the people I know that I'm their favorite or that are going to give me glowing feedback. And, and that is a real sign. And just one more question before we move past that concept of a, a, an organization looking at themselves through that lens of trust. If they were to ask you, well, what are some things that would indicate to us that we have a trusting organization, we have a high trust or a low trust organization, what might be some of the success indicators that you would say to them? Well, here's some examples or here's some, a way to look at that.
1: So climate surveys, direct measure Mm -hmm. of, how much do you trust? Especially if they ask questions, how much do you trust your manager, and how much do you trust the culture? So a lot of a lot of culture surveys that that these are filling out can give you can put the pulse, get the pulse of that.
0: One of the things that came to me was if an organization does exit interviews and they're getting feedback in an exit interview that this is not a culture that I feel like I can embrace, or that I'm trusted, or that I can trust my, so exit interviews, I think, can also, which is unfortunate, because that says people are leaving the organization. And yet, I think if an organization is, is courageous enough to do exit interviews, it can be very helpful for them.
1: Absolutely. That was one of the other things I was trying to think of. Good, Meg. And here's another thing. Look at your retention rate in your organization. Compare it to your industry standards. And if it's lower than the industry standards, you have to ask yourself, at least ask yourself the question, what bearing does trust have on driving that number in my organization?
0: Thanks for giving some real tangible things for if a coach is engaging with an organization and they get asked that question, well, how would, what's what's the way we measure that? Those are some, some things to think about and to drill down into. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah. So trust is really important. It's something that you want to see that context to. But here's a best practice for 360 feedback because we talked about cherry picking here, right? Right. And uh, the way to avoid people cherry picking their raters is two things. Number one, they nominate all their direct reports. They don't select. And in almost all of your 360 feedback systems, including the one I run, you can have as many raters as you, you can. So there's no limit there. Right. So number one, Every single direct report is nominated to give feedback. You don't select among them. And another, another, the other best practice that I implement is when they get their feet, when they get their rater list together, which will also include probably peers and maybe even customers, but certainly peers and direct reports, they submit that list to their manager. Now here's the rule: their manager doesn't have absolute authority over that rater list. It's my list as a person putting my list together. But this And this also becomes a measure of trust, right? Mm Because I'm having a conversation with my manager and usually it goes something like this. Is there anybody I'm missing on this that you think should be on here? And it's amazing how often managers will like, well, how about this stakeholder over there? That that might be really important. And that wasn't someone that my client or I thought of. Mm
0: -hmm. And so it
1: actually, most of the time, it actually improves your rater list and it protects against cherry picking because that manager can say, you're only picking two of your direct reports. You have, you have eight direct reports. What, right. What's Why is that? I, there's no yeah. reason for that, is there? So best practice on helping avoid picking.
0: Let's slow uh, down for just a second and not make the assumption that everybody who's listening knows what a 360 assessment is. So can you share just a little bit about what the concept of a 360 assessment is?
1: Boy, my good catch. One of my other favorite sayings are my assumptions are my worst enemy. So, yeah, 360 feedback is a surveying method. So you're taking a survey that just uh, simply asks questions, like uh, typically leadership questions, right, in in an organization. So you take that survey and you give it to a broad group of people, but that group is segmented. So think of this as a segmented survey because I'm getting feedback on those very same survey questions from my boss, from my peers, from my direct reports, and I'm doing a self-assessment. So that's where they think it's like 360 degrees because it's from all directions I'm getting this feedback.
0: All these different perspectives because people are seeing you from the different angles of that 360 degrees.
1: Yeah. So those are the traditional categories. You can have additional categories of raters like customers or stakeholders. And if those categories are relevant, then you get relevant feedback from a stakeholder group because maybe they're not peers of directors. And in the 360 feedback platform I run, you can actually customize those groups, which I've done for my custom, some of my custom 360s, like for cl- congregationally-based clergy, where the groups are things like parishioners mm-hmm. and school personnel instead of peers and direct reports. So there's a lot of flexibility, but a 360 method basically is surveying the, all those segments And then the most complicated thing about the 360 feedback is the report, because the report is broken out into those segments. So you get all those different perspectives and you see, well, my direct reports see me in this way, but my boss sees me in this way. And sometimes those can be in conflict. Maybe conflict isn't the right word. They could be seeing me in two different ways because my boss's perspective on me is different than my direct reports. So it gives a real insight into how you're viewed within the organization around whatever dimensions that you're measuring. Uh, And I'll be talking a little bit about the qualitative part of 360s as we go on here, but that's the basic 360 methodology.
0: Excellent. Which then brings back to that point about trust, because if I'm in a low trust culture and I'm a direct report being asked to give 360 feedback to my manager, and I don't trust, how... How safe am I really, even though I'm assured that it's on anonymous and how safe am I really going to feel in giving? how safe am i going to feel as the 360 assessed person if i feel like somehow it's not a safe environment or it's a low trust environment how is this potentially you know, am i opening myself up to vulnerability or or retaliation or i mean all those so just to to double click on that that trust factor to to yeah. show everybody this is what we're talking about and why trust would be so key to that
1: well, this is where other best practices come into play that, that try to mitigate those things as much as possible. Like a person getting 360 feedback, they should send a personal email to every one of their raters inviting that feedback and hopefully communicating in a way that says, I really want this feedback. This is important for me. And, and it is going to be used confidentially. And then in terms of trust for the person getting the feedback, One of the things we say in that introductory letter is, and whatever your feedback is, it's not going to be used for promotion, succession planning, or or compensation purposes. This is used purely for my development. And so one of my missions in the world is to really end the abuse of 360 feedback in organizations. And those are some of the abuses that have happened in the past that, at least as coaches, we don't believe in and and there's some good evidence that for instance when you're getting feedback to do promotion the person getting the feedback is more likely to want to change their scores on their on their 360 survey more than change their behavior ah
0: so you're losing is- the point yeah it becomes sort of yeah. teaching to the test rather than than for growth and development.
1: Yeah, so that's just one reason why we, we as coaches in particular, we don't use 360 development for anything other than personal development. So we communicate those things. I've got a whole series of communication tools to communicate these best practices within a 360 program, which is, that's one of the things I do is set these programs up in companies. And so we, we use these practices to help mitigate any of that mistrust that might be there The other way we do that for the participant is you are the owner of your report. This is a confidential feedback report for you personally. It doesn't go to HR. Your boss doesn't see it. You can share any part of that report you want with others, but you shouldn't feel compelled to share any part of that report with anyone. And that also creates a, a possibility where people can become vulnerable and transparent. But if you don't feel like you have control over that, trust is out the window. Um, exactly.
0: And the other thing I would just want to stress about that for any of you who have never done a 360 before, or you're thinking about engaging with a new coaching client and you're setting things up. You really want to make that clear in the coaching agreement, in the agreement with the organization, that even if the organization is sponsoring this person and paying for that 360, That 360 feedback is feedback to that participant and that participant owns that. Maybe they create a a report with you to their manager about the things they're going to work on or the areas of development they're going to grow in. But it's whenever I've gotten a panic call from a coach who says, oh my gosh, I told the client that it was confidential to them, but now the organization is saying to me, wait, we paid for that. That's our assessment. We've got to set it up. At the get-go, you said, I mean, you talk about best practices. You want that to be crystal clear from the beginning. Anything you want to add to that?
1: Yeah, let me tag on to the, this other best practice. Remember I said earlier, any intervention or organization can either gain or lose trust in the organization. Right. Here's what I see in a lot of organizational development programs, including 360 feedback, is people put this program together and they're they're passionate about, we want to develop leaders. We're, they're passionate about what they're doing. They design this entire program and they enlist all these people in the program. And then I get them as a client and I ask my client, so why are you in this program? And they go, I don't know. I don't know how I got here. And I don't know what this is all about. And of course, I'm immediately shocked, like, whoa, the, the trust has just been lost. Right. And so the best practice around that is if you develop a programming organization and if you're rolling something out, you need a really comprehensive communication plan, which is also part of my 360 materials because it's 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 helping do two things. One, this is the purpose of this program that's communicated clearly, repeatedly, and unequivocally to all the participants by all the stakeholders. Here is the purpose of this program. In the case of 360 feedback, this is for your personal development. Mm-hmm. And number two, and here are how the results will be used. You are the personal owner of this report. You're not compelled to share it with anyone, but you can share parts of it with anyone you want to. So those two things, here's the purpose of the program, and here's how the, the, the data, how, how the program is going to be used. And when people know that up front, then you're starting to front load trust into the process instead of, and I just see this happening all the time, people getting involved in some program. And. They don't understand the program. They don't know what it's about. They don't know how it's going to be used. All they know is their manager said, hey, this is a great program. You're going to do it. And that's all I know is I'm going to do this thing that I don't really know or understand. Talk about
0: a cat on a hot tin roof, huh? I mean, like, oh, what is all this about? Yeah.
1: And so when you, in the context of giving feedback, think of the think of the impact that has on, on giving and receiving feedback in this context. Right. Because I'll have people in that circumstance where it's not explained say, I don't know that this feedback's not being used to evaluate me for my next promotion. I don't know that this isn't going to come back to haunt me some way. And if those things had been explained clearly up front, they wouldn't even be having, or they might, it would be very much, much more rare that someone would
0: have those thoughts, right? Right, right. And once again, much more rare in a high trust organization than in a low trust organization. Because if I'm told something in a low trust organization, I might not buy it as much as as if there's really a culture around trusting and, and respecting of the information that's given.
1: Yeah. A couple more best practices on 360s. Yes. So, so some of the research on 360 shows that if a manager getting feedback shares their results in some form with the people that rated them, especially their direct reports, they're much more likely to change behavior over time. So think about that research finding and how common sense it is, right? Because if I give my direct reports, here's the feedback I got and here's what I'm learning about myself. There's almost an uh, automatic cultural accountability built into that because now my direct reports know what it is that I'm getting the feedback on. And they and it, it kind of holds this, it creates this level of accountability to myself to do something with that feedback because people know. Right. And so the same as in executive coaching programs, right? Mm-hmm. If, If you have an executive coaching client and they built all these goals they're working on, they share it with their manager. I think a one person off at the hand, they shared that goal with every key stakeholder in their organization at the beginning of their coaching engagement said, not only does my boss know what I'm working on, I want all of you to know what I'm working on. And think of the level of accountability that created for them. If I I need to really step up now and do it. And this person did. They did amazing things in their executive coaching. So this, this sharing that, in, in the 360 research, it's also demonstrated. So it's really important to do that. Now, how do you make that happen? This is the last, probably the last best practice we'll time to talk about today. As coaches, of course, I'm talking to the choir here, right? We want to pair 360 feedback with good professional debrief, and coaches are great at debriefing 360 results because we're not here to tell them what their results are. We're here to help them make sense to create meaning out of their results. And this is one of the other abuses of 360s that I'm trying to get rid of is you you would be surprised how many organizations the manager says, we're going to give you 360 feedback. They go through that whole process. You get a 360 report and the, the manager hands that 360 report. Number one, they've seen it.
0: <laughs> right. Two, if I'm handing it to you, it's come yeah. from my hand. Yes.
1: <laughs> number two, number two, or, or maybe HR hands it to them, but somebody hands it to them that has access to it. Number two, then they hand it to them, they go, okay, go do good work. And for those of you who aren't familiar with 360 reports, a lot of times they're 50, 60 pages long. Because oh, there's yeah. so much, so much segmented data in there. They're just handing this report to someone saying, okay, do good. How are they supposed to understand if i never seen a 360 report before? So,
0: And we're all negatively biased. So we're gonna zone in to any anything that we deem as criticism or less than. We're not gonna be able to kind of see the balance between how this part impacts this part. That's what a a robust deep reef does. It really helps helps pull all those pieces together. And if I'm getting a report about myself that I really don't see the, the big picture of that. I'm going to probably feel defeated and, or I don't, maybe not, but am I really going to know what I'm going to do with that?
1: It doesn't maximize the ROI of all this investment yes. that we've made, yes. right? Because as coaches, what are we going to do? We're, we're going to help them see the areas they want to grow, but we're also going to say, what are the strengths here? Are you fully leveraging the strengths? Because 360 feedback shows strengths as well as opportunities. So are you fully leveraging those strengths? And then what about the opportunities and what are you learning here about yourself, about these different stakeholders of people in your environment? How does that create an, a situational awareness you would have never had? And this is what a lot of my 360 clients say. I would have never had this awareness if it wasn't for this tool because we're back to that Johari window, right? Mm-hmm. Where I'm getting all this feedback of things I may or may not know about myself. And that's the other thing. A lot of 360 feedback is confirmatory, right? I, I kind of thought that about myself, and I, I can't believe other people, well, other people know me better than I thought they know me because I knew that about myself, but I didn't think they knew, right? It's right. like, wow, they, that's confirmed, and a lot of those are strengths that I'm, are confirmed. And then also there's things like, yeah, I kind of knew that about myself too, but I was hoping nobody could see, nobody saw that. It's like, you know what? People see just about everything about me. I'm, I'm under this delusion like somehow I'm unknown to people, What what people really do know me. And when you get feedback, rich feedback in this way, it really accelerates your growth, right? So that other best practice is... um,
0: Is getting a debrief. You have to get a debrief ah, with with the 360. You can't just kind of hand them the report. I want to circle back around super quick to one of your other best practices in that level of accountability and letting your, your raters know that you've received their feedback and maybe even a couple of the things that you're working on. Yes, there's a great level of accountability for the participant, for the leader. What I've also noticed is that people tend to see people the same way over and over. So I I work with Tom and I see Tom this particular way. When Tom says to me, Meg, I've received your feedback and here's some things that I'm working on. I, Meg, am now looking at Tom a different way and I'm sort of paying attention to his growth and his development. So I think part of the the value also of letting people know, I've received your feedback. Here's some things that I'm really committed to working on. That creates a new awareness for the people that are engaging with you and they're more open and, and their perspective is going to be open to, oh, Todd's doing things differently than he used to. Maybe you were doing those anyway, but if, when I'm open to like looking at what you're doing, I think I'm more inclined to see your changes too. So that's just an additional sort of benefit of letting people know the changes we're working in.
1: Yeah. And just think of the impact that has on trust, right? Yes. there's this, More of this openness and awareness about who we are as people, and it has a positive impact on trust because there's a vulnerability and transparency that's a part of that process. And in a high trust culture, it just accelerates the trust. In a moderate trust culture, it starts building trust, one person at a time, one manager at a time, because honestly, think about it. We have these huge organizational interventions to build trust. But And I think they can have some benefit, but think of it. Trust is built in an organization, one manager at a time. Mm -hmm. And think about the impact that the negative impact on trust, just one manager can have. And the higher in the organization, the bigger the impact that that can have. So I'm just being very real about trust in organizations. And any of us who've worked at big organizations, we know this is just the God honest truth, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. So (laughs) putting our heads in the sand isn't going to, it's like, let's be aware of it. And then what are these best practices we can bring forward to hopefully begin to change things, one organization, one leader at a time? Yeah. Such good information, Tom. As, as we're getting closer to the end of our time together, I know you had a, something you really wanted people to be able to grasp onto immediately.
1: Yeah. So you'll get a link to a blog I wrote called Building a, a Culture of Trust, but there's a tool that a leader introduced to me about eight years ago that I had never heard of. A lot of you in your audience, you've probably heard of the stop, start, continue method. Uh, I had not heard about it until I encountered a really great leader I got to work with. And it's a really great method I want you to have a takeaway with today that you can start, might be able to start using in some way. And it's very simple. Let me describe how the leader I worked with used it. He, he was known for building amazing teams like just high functioning teams that knocked it out of the park. And I knew that before I started coaching with him. So early on in the first couple of sessions, I said, yeah, I hear you're a great team leader. What do you attribute that to? And he thought for a minute he great goes, question. <laughs> stop, start, continue. I go, what's that? He goes, I, I start leaving my team in about six months into taking over a new team. I set up one-on-one meetings with every one of my direct reports and the, it's a highly structured meeting. It has an agenda and they know what it is up front. The first thing I want to know from them is what are the things that I need to start doing as a leader that I'm not doing because I don't know to do them? What do I need to stop doing? Because I probably think it's really helpful, but I don't realize it's not helping at all. <laughs> and then finally, what do, I, what do I need to continue doing? What's really working for you and what do you see really working for the team? Because I want that specific feedback from you as an individual team member on my team. That's the first half of the meeting. The second half of the meeting is me answering those same questions for you. Based on my observation over the last six months, here's the things I think you need to continue doing that you're really doing well. Here's the things you might want to consider start doing to be more effective on my team, our team. And finally, here are the things I think you might want to consider stopping doing because I I, I don't think they're as helpful as you think they might be. So he had those meetings with his team about six, every individual team member about six months in. And he said it transforms the team because, number one, he gets a lot of good feedback. And and, well, he starts getting a lot of good feedback. Again, if you're in a lower trust environment, how good how good do you think the feedback he's going to get is? Probably not not ideal, but probably some feedback. Mm -hmm. Well, this is my new boss. I've never had a boss ask me to give them feedback like this. So right. this is a new behavior for me. But he said, it, it sets the stage for creating a, a, a culture of trust within our team because this is something that we don't just do in that introductory meeting. It becomes a part of our culture. When we're aware of things other people need to stop, start or continue doing, we create a culture of trust where we're doing this in the interest of being a better team and to help each other be better. And when that culture starts to sink in, Can you imagine the kind of feedback that people start giving each other to really help them become more effective? We're back to the Johari window, right? Right. There's all these things I don't know about myself, but now people are more freely exchanging those things and think about it. This is one of the key ways trust is built is through mutual transactions of transparency and vulnerability Mm -hmm. that builds a really deep trust between individuals and then within the team. So I'd like you to, you can look at my blog start if you're not familiar with this method you might want to find ways to start utilizing it cuz it's a really practical way by the way to get to get actionable feedback usually the feedback from these kind of questions are really good and that's why my 360 tools on my 360 platform the qualitative part of the survey is based on stop, start, continue. I I said I'd mentioned something about that earlier on when I was talking about 360 surveys, because most surveys have rating questions where you rate, but then they have open-ended questions at the end. Mm -hmm. And I steer away from questions like, what makes me great as a leader? It's like, rah, rah, hey, hey. Not very actionable feedback people get from that. Maybe get a little good feeling about it for a little Mm -hmm. bit. But Stop, Start, Continue, that gives you actionable feedback that actually makes you change behavior to have a bigger and greater impact within the organization. So that's why we use it for the qualitative component of the 360 surveys I use. So, Meg, that's the that's the big takeaway I wanted people to be able to take away, that maybe they can even start practicing immediately
0: right and and we can also begin how can that apply to ourselves as well or the people that we work with is a great tool so thank you for that so tom you shared that that there's an article we're going to have a link for that article in the show notes for this episode any other um way that people can connect with you if they want to know more about you and the work that you do
1: i'm on linkedin i think we'll pull, we'll probably put that link in the notes that as well that link will Look. be
0: in the notes as well
1: Yeah. Love new contacts. And of course, if if people are thinking about improving or setting up a a feedback program, like a 360 program in their company, please feel free to reach out to me. One of my passions again is to end the abuse of 360 feedback and really maximize the ROI, those investments that the company and the individuals make in that. So I'd love to help anybody with that if if they need some help with that.
0: Love that. Thanks for your time today. You brought such value.
1: Thanks, Meg. It's been an honor and a
0: privilege. Such great information, whether you're a coach or a leader, that information is gold. And I hope that it gives you food for thought for things that you can begin to do right away. If you want to know more about Dr. Tom Krapu, go to starcoatshow.com 321, starcoatshow.com 321, and grab the links that are in the show notes. My conversation with Tom continues for the member community. If you'd like to know more about the member community, if you'd like to help your business soar and really get traction for 2023, then I invite you to join us. And I encourage you to think about that for sooner than later, because this very next week, we are doing a workshop in the community with Connie Whitesell to really move your 2023 goals from theoretical to operational. And we are getting in there and doing some hands on work. If you want to join us for that, go to starcoachshow.com, explore membership with us and consider joining our community to really meet your goals for your business. So until next week, this is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a fantastic week.